Hey guys, thank you so much for joining us for the NCC podcast. God is doing so many great things in our community, and I trust that he's doing great things in your life as well. And I trust that God is going to speak to you through this message. So today we are in our third week of our Better Than Some series. In the last two weeks, Pastor Philip has been talking about giving and generosity. And if you haven't heard those messages, I encourage you to go back and listen to them on YouTube, podcasts, because they were so fundamental for the Christian life. You know, sometimes we don't really know what we should believe about certain things. And he explained what we should believe about giving and generosity so well. In the first two weeks, Pastor Philip also reminded us that in this year of legacy, we're going to be sticking close to the book of Hebrews. And right now in particular, we've been looking at Hebrews 11, which is what a lot of Bible teachers and scholars call the hall of fame of faith. We've been looking at this concept of better than some through the lens of a story that we find in Genesis 4. And we're going back to Genesis 4 today, but we're going to start with Hebrews 11.4. Hebrews 11.4. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks even though he is dead. Genesis 4, 1 through 5. Now Adam had sexual relations with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant. When she gave birth to Cain, she said, With the Lord's help, I have produced a man. Later she gave birth to his brother and named him Abel. When they grew up, Abel became a shepherd while Cain cultivated the ground. When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best portions of the firstborn lambs from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. This made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. Cain was very angry. Hmm. Not Cain was very sorry and apologized. Not Cain was very repentant and brought the right gift. No, Cain's just mad. Verses 6 and 7. Why are you so angry? The Lord asked Cain. Why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door eager to control you, but you must subdue it and be its master. God has this one-sided conversation with Cain. He asks him two questions and Cain gives him no answers. Have you ever been that mad? Someone is talking to you, they're asking you questions and they just sound like the teacher from Charlie Brown. You know what I'm talking about? Wah, wah, wah. It's like, I don't care what you're saying. I'm just hot right now. I don't even want to hear it. But we can't miss this. What is God doing here? We just talked about his goodness. He's compassionately trying to draw Cain in and give him another 
chance. He even lovingly warns Cain, hey, if you do the right thing here, sin is ready to pounce on you. It's waiting eagerly for you to choose it instead of what's right. And Cain just ignores it. How do we know? Here we go. Verses 8 through 10. One day, Cain suggested to his brother, let's go out into the fields. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Oh, Abel, what were you thinking? Afterward, the Lord asked Cain, where is your brother? Where is Abel? And now Cain opens his mouth and he says, I don't know. Am I my brother's guardian? But the Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Oh, Cain, he didn't sin. He let sin win in the end. The last two weeks we've been talking about this text with giving in mind, but today we're going to talk about it in the context of comparison. Comparison. Cain was angry. Why was Cain angry? What was behind the behind the scenes? Anybody got siblings? Holla at me. Then you already know. Good old-fashioned sibling rivalry. Anything you can do, I can do better. Come on, sing it with me. I can do anything better than you. Envy. Jealousy. My dad is laughing because he's like seeing all the scenes of me and my sister fighting. Okay. (laughs) Here was Cain. The firstborn son of Adam and Eve. He's the one they've been waiting for. Surely they thought he would be the one to right all the wrongs. Maybe he was the one that God had promised. You see, when God kicked Adam and Eve out of the garden, he promised them that their offspring was going to be able to make everything right again. And don't you think they told Cain that story? Don't you think he was walking around thinking, I'm the man, I'm the man, I'm the man, right? But then he and his little brother bring their offerings before God, and God says to the little brother, A plus, exactly what I wanted. And to the older brother, he says, F minus, try that again. Matter of fact, see me after class. Why is Cain angry? Maybe Cain thought that this was some kind of contest. And in this contest, Cain has his own standard of what is acceptable. But Abel knew that this wasn't about him and Cain at all. It was not a competition. This was about Abel and his relationship with God. And it was about God's standard of what was right and best. Comparison. Comparison causes us to completely miss what God is doing and wants to do in our lives. It gets in the way of us living for God and unto God. 
And in many cases, like Cain, it doesn't make us better. It only makes us bitter. Is comparison a sin? I'll let you flesh that out for yourself. But this is what I will tell you. Comparison can lead to sin. There's a Hebrew word used in the Old Testament, kata, probably saying that wrong. There's a Greek word used in the New Testament, hamartia. Both of these words describe sin as missing the mark or failing to hit the target. The question we have to ask ourselves is who gets to set the target? Who gets to determine what is a miss and what is a hit? Well, in the context of this story and in the context of our stories, that person is God. Compare a sin. Compare a sin. This is how I like to think about comparison. Because when I start comparing myself to other people and secretly competing with them, you know what I'm talking about? I always miss, I always miss what God is trying to do in my life. It's a complete waste of time, but don't we all do it? Am I the only one? It's foolish, but we do it. We say and think things like, well, at least I'm better than my neighbor. They only mow their yard once a month. Have you seen it? We mow our yard every single week. Well, actually, we don't mow it. We pay someone to mow it, but we're so much better than them. Well, at least I'm better educated. You know she only has her bachelor's, right? I have my masters. Okay, I'll give it to my brother. He's got a better marriage, but I've got the bigger, better house. Have you seen it? What about this one? Well, at least I'm better than my coworkers. They go to church on Sunday too, but then on Monday, girl, they be up in here gossiping and cussing and carrying on. I love that carrying on phrase. I don't know who invented it. (laughs) At least I only cuss when I'm really, really mad. As if that's God's target. At least I'm better than some. There's a story Jesus tells in the Bible that I think exposes the foolishness of comparison but also how God's standards might be a little different than our own. Luke 16, 19 through 28. Let's pay attention to this story. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores, and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. So interesting. The poor man was carried away by the angels. 
the rich man goes into the ground. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Father Abraham far off with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things, but now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so they will not also come to this place of torment. Mm. In this life, by comparison, by the world's standards, the poor man was to be pitied and overlooked. In this life, by the world's standards, the rich man was to be envied and admired. You know people did. He was definitely better than some. But oh, how the tables have turned. The rich man is now the beggar. And the beggar is now rich. The poor man, who obviously had a relationship with God, has made it. He's hanging out with the people in the hall of fame of faith. Wow. The rich man is the beggar. The beggar is now rich. But maybe by God's standards, the rich man was always poor. And the poor man was always rich. Here's what the rich man found out the hard way. The weights and measures of this world don't hold any weight in heaven. The weights and measures of this world don't hold any weight in heaven. God's standard is different. In this world, we are taught that success is reaching some pinnacle and then looking down at the rest of the world and saying, sorry, suckers. I got more than you and you and you. Or I don't mess up as much as you. I act better than you and you and you. And here's the dangerous part. As long as we feel like we're better than certain people in certain areas, we think that God thinks we're better in certain areas. But that's called self-righteousness. God is playing by a different set of rules. His standard is his righteousness. His standard is so high that for us to even have a chance, he had to send his son to die. And once we come into his family, he has to fill us with his spirit. Because his standard is lived out through obedience to his word. Unselfish service and sacrifice. 
obedience to his word, not our word, his word. Unselfish service, not expecting anything in return. Uh Uh-oh. Sacrifice. That's different than the standards of this world. The beautiful and remarkable thing about the gospel is that when we accept Jesus as Savior and Lord of our lives, we become righteous. Our name is changed to righteous child of God. But here's the other thing. As long as we're still breathing, we are supposed to be growing into our new Sometimes people talk to me that don't know Jesus, and they're so confused about the Christian life. Well, God accepted you, and that's it, right? So now you can just do whatever you want. (laughs) John Piper, pastor, author, speaker, has this beautiful quote that I think sums up the Christian life and explains this whole idea of being righteous but also having to live righteous. If you've been confused about the Christian life, take a picture of this quote. So here's the glory and the mystery of the Christian life. We are already righteous in Christ, and so we have peace with God. And in the peace of that acceptance with God, we strive for righteousness in our daily lives. Say daily. Not only because we know that this confirms that we are God's people, but also because this is the most deeply satisfying way to glorify Christ. As long as we're still breathing, we will be in this race of faith. There's no finish line in this life. We don't get better than some, and then we're set for the rest of our lives. Daily, we seek to live a life of obedience to God's word, unselfish service, and sacrifice. Because God's standard is not, nor will it ever be, better than some. His standard is like my son. Like my son. The question that every Christ follower should be asking is not, am I better than some? It is, am I becoming like God's son? Back to comparison. Many authors and speakers have identified comparison as a trap. And in my book, my first book, Excited, The Trap Proof Life, I also talk about comparison as being a trap. Because comparison keeps us stuck, doesn't it? It slows us down. It causes us to settle. It causes us to focus on things that don't really matter. And more importantly, it causes us to miss what really matters. Cain missed it. The rich man missed it. And even Jesus' 12 disciples missed it a time or two. Luke 22, 23 through 27. This is the night that Jesus is going to be betrayed. The next day he will be crucified. And this is the last supper. And Jesus has just told his disciples, hey, one of you is going to betray me. Verse 23. 
they began to question among themselves which of them it might be who would do this. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was considered to be greatest. Here we go again. Good old-fashioned sibling rivalry. So what does Jesus do? He teaches them like he always does. He says the kings of the Gentiles lorded over them. And those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest. And the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater? The one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I, Jesus says, am among you as one who serves. The night that Jesus is betrayed, the people closest to him still don't know what matters to him. They were so blinded and trapped by comparison, they couldn't see what he was trying to show them. Jesus, who is the greatest, had been modeling the standard for greatness right before their eyes the whole time. And they still missed it. Last story. I preach so fast. Don't tell coach. I think this one will help us, especially if we find ourselves in the comparison trap. This story, Jesus has been resurrected, and the Bible tells us that after he was resurrected, he went around seeing his disciples and doing other things we don't even know about for 40 days. And on one of those days, he ends up on the beach having breakfast with his disciples. John 21, 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. And then he and John do this two more times. I love this story. It's so beautiful. Jesus restores Peter three times because what had happened? Peter had denied him how many times? Three times. And on the third time, one of the Gospels tell us that Peter and Jesus lock eyes. Can you imagine how Peter felt? <laughs> he probably never thought that he and Jesus would be in relationship again. But Jesus restores him back to fellowship. But that's not all that happened. Verses 18 through 22. Truly, truly, I say to you, Jesus says, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death Peter would glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Uh-oh. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. 
the one who also had leaned back against him during supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Uh-oh. Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Ooh. When Jesus tells Peter how Peter is going to die, it causes a pivot in Peter's heart. His heart turns, then his head turns. He turns his attention away from Jesus and says, hey, what about him? Am I going to have it better than him? What's his story? Instead of focusing on his reconciliation with Christ, Peter wastes this moment and turns his attention to John. Jesus' answer holds the key to living comparison-free. What does he say? What is that to you? You follow me. What is Jesus saying? Peter, this is not about you versus John. <laughs> this is all about whether or not you're willing to follow me. Whether or not you're willing to do what I'm asking you to do. What is that to you? Man, we've all got to answer this question for ourselves. Why do we care so much about where we rank in comparison to other people? Why do we get caught up in competing and comparing? What is that to you? Does it really matter if your friend's story is different than yours? Does it really matter? If your sister has two kids and gets married and you are single, what if your college roommate gets rich and you stay not so rich? Hear me, that's their story. But more importantly, what is Jesus saying? That's God's business. What is that to you? I've got a story for you. I've got a plan for you. The reason you can't get on track is because you're turning around asking questions about everybody else's story. Why do we care where we rank in comparison to someone else? Are we looking for a reason to settle where we are instead of continuing to grow? Or do we find our security in having a better appearance or a better education or a better job or a better whatever than other people? And listen, if we do and we're a Christ follower, that's a big problem. Because we find our security in Christ. The one who never changes He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So that's why I can find my security in him. Life's going to change. Standards in this world, come on now, we already know. Skinny jeans, now the Jinko thingies are back and, and you got holes in I don't know what's going on. We can't keep up with the standards of this world. We can't put our security in the standards of this world because they're going to keep on changing on us. 
But Jesus, the same today, yesterday, and forever. What is that to you? You follow me. If we're going to follow Jesus, we're going to have to focus on Jesus and believe that by faith, like Abel, as we follow him, he will make us into the people he wants us to be. We have to, by faith, believe that he will take us to the places he wants us to go. We must, by faith, believe that he will give us all the things he wants us to have in this life. In the end, I believe the command to follow Jesus is what carried Peter and the rest of the disciples forward. The Bible says these men turned the world completely upside down. They all lived a legacy that we are benefiting from to this day. And, side note, just like Abel, all of them were killed for their faith. They were never the greatest by the world's standards. But because they were determined to focus on Jesus and the mission he had given them, instead of competing with each other, they changed the world. In the end, I believe they realized the truth found in Romans 14, 12. So then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Each of us in this room will give an account of ourselves to God. I'm so glad that as Christ followers, we get to escape hell and be with God forever. But even we will stand before our king and say, this is what I did with the time I had with what you gave me. And I have this sneaky suspicion. God's not going to be sizing us up in comparison to our coworkers or our sister or our friend. Hebrews 11.4, we're going to end where we began. Hebrews 11.4. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks, even though he is dead. Abel still speaks. What is Abel speaking? I think Abel would tell us, even if I had known my brother was going to kill me, I would have still brought God. My very best. I would have still chosen God and his standard over every other standard. I think Abel would tell us that he could have fallen into the comparison trap himself and lived down to his older brother's expectations and just brought some of his flock. But he didn't because Abel knew that it wasn't a contest or a competition against Cain. It was about Abel and his relationship with God. I think Abel would say, hey, don't miss it. In the end, it will be worth it. 
crawl by faith, walk by faith, run by faith. You won't always understand what God is doing, but I'm telling you, his way is better. His way is better. Abel still speaks to us today. And Jesus still speaks. And what is our King Jesus saying? He's saying, follow me. Same words. Follow me. Don't worry about where you size up in comparison to some celebrity or your brother or your neighbor or your coworker. Follow me. Learn from me. Obey me. Master your sin. Stop making excuses. I've given you everything you need to master your sin. Let's go. Come on. Follow me. You have a race to run. You have a mission ahead. Follow me, Jesus would say to us. Serve everyone. Be willing to sacrifice even your very life. I think Jesus would tell us that he never told us that it was going to be easy. But that he did promise he would be with us. <laughs> and one day we'll get to see him face to face, just like Abel, just like Peter, just like the disciples. And I'm telling you, I think we're going to figure out and it was all worth it. I struggle with comparison among many other things. We don't have time for all that today. So I have written many prayers and poems and little ditties that me and God kind of talk through. In my book, they're the very last words in the last chapter. I put them on a little bookmark. It says, I love you, Lord. You are my life. Eternity is in my sight. One day I'll see you face to face. Until that day, I'll run my race. My race. We all have a different race to run. We're running with the same purpose in mind. God's kingdom come. His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. No matter what we do, we have this unified purpose. But listen, it's going to be lived out in different stories. It's going to look different. We cannot get caught up in the differences in our stories. We must encourage one another. We must inspire one another. We must cheer each other on. How many of you need somebody to cheer you on sometimes? We need to come alongside one another. Because sometimes we get tired. Anybody get weary? Running this race of faith sometimes? We need each other. We don't need to be sizing each other up. My first sermon that I preached here in 2015, I admitted that I always looked at people's shoes before I looked at their face. How stupid is that? Don't do that anymore. But I remembered that this week as I was, I was preparing. I was like, God, thank you. You brought me a mighty long way. Like buy someone's shoes, I could tell everything about their life. My God, the things we do, guys, they don't make sense. 
We have a race to run. The world needs Jesus. We can't waste any more time competing and comparing. Let's not focus on being better than some. Let's focus on being like the one. The one who saved us. The one who died for us, as us. The one who was raised. The one who sent his Holy Spirit so we could have the power we need to do the things he's called us to do. Let's not miss it. Cain missed it. The rich man missed it. But we don't have to miss it. By faith. By faith, just like Abel. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can live a righteous life. Listen to me. You can live a righteous life. Obedience, service, sacrifice. We can do this. And I believe that the Bible says in this life and in the life to come, we're going to receive some rewards. But I also had this sneaky suspicion that knowing Jesus and becoming like Jesus and getting to be with him forever is going to be our greatest reward. We end all of our messages with an acrostic lead. The L stands for learn. Today, instead of asking, am I better than some, we learn we should be seeking to become like Jesus. Our evaluation questions for this week is, am I following Jesus for real? Or am I living by cultural or worldly standards? You know, there's a cultural standard around here that people just go to church. So people come to church because they think they're supposed to. But I'm just going to tell you, coming to church does not mean you're following Jesus. Have you given him your life for real? Actions. Observe your thoughts this week. Who are you competing and comparing yourself against to? And why? Pray about it and stop it. My husband thought that was funny when I told him that last night. Just stop it. You know, this is the thing I've learned in 17 years of following Jesus. I do a lot of things that I could just not do. The Holy Spirit of the living God lives on the inside of me. So I can just stop it. Or I can play with it. Or I can open the door to it. Or I can let it master me. The choice is yours. And then do it again. Stand with me. Everyone would just close their eyes and bow their heads just for a minute. We're going to sing a song in a second. If you're following Jesus in this room already, I want you to, with the help of the Holy Spirit, answer this question today. Are you living up to the label that has been placed on your life of righteous child of God? Or are you living down to the standards of this world? 
Is your motivation, am I better than some? Are you becoming self-righteous? Or is your motivation, am I becoming like God's son? Maybe you're in this room and you heard that story of the rich man and you know you've never started following Jesus and you're just thinking right now, I don't want to end up like this rich man. I want to get into the race of faith today. Because let me tell you, without Jesus' blood applied to your sin, you can't even get in the race. We're going to sing a song after I pray. And this is what I want to invite you to do. I felt this right before I came out, so we're going to do it. Maybe you've been following Jesus your whole life, but today you just want to do something that kind of exemplifies what you feel in your heart right now. Or maybe you've never followed Jesus and today you are ready to follow him. Maybe some of you are weary. That's the third person that you're just tired. You're seeing all these other stories play out and you've been trying to follow Jesus and do what is right. And you're just tired because you're not seeing what you thought you would see. If any of those three fit you, I want to invite you to come to the front. Just move out right from where you are. We're going to sing a song. If I was in the crowd, I'd be right here. Am I following Jesus? And I just want to show, make a move to show today that I am going to stay in this race of faith. Am I not following Jesus? And today I want to follow him, or am I just tired? I felt that so strongly. And you want to be filled again with his spirit. You want to be rejuvenated today. Right now, as I'm speaking, go ahead and come to the front. Come to the front, if that's you. Just come closer. There's no shame in this house. Only freedom. Only freedom. Everyone repeat this prayer after me. Jesus, I believe that you're real. I believe you died for me. I believe that your blood covers my sins. Forgive me. Change me. I need you. I want to follow you every day of my life. Come on, for, for those of you who are up here, for those of you who are in the crowd, Haley's going to lead us in a song. And I really want us to sing this song from our hearts. And then Pastor, Philip, Pastor Steve, excuse me, is going to come up and give us some instructions. God, I love to you. I won't be overwhelmed. Give me vision to see things like you do. God, I look to you. You're where my help comes from. Give me wisdom. You know just what to do.
Thank you for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and share our podcast. For more content from NCC and how to get connected, visit ncc.team.